Just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that some of the movies that we will be reviewing were shot in a different time and era where people of race and sex were not treated equally. We understand this and hope you do too. The movies or anything that happened on the sets are not the views of this podcast or what this show is intended to be all about. Exactly. And we want to give due diligence in presenting the movie and not the views of the cast or directors or anyone involved. But we also feel it's necessary to let the audience know some of the background information to get a feel for what was happening at the time of shooting the film. Again, we hope you understand that we do not agree with everything that went on and we just want to give out the information. And with that being said, hope you enjoy the show. dimension beyond that which is known to man it is a dimension as vast as space and as timeless as infinity it is the middle ground between light and shadow between science and superstition and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge this is the dimension of imagination it is an area which we call the twilight zone Alright guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. This is our Twilight Zone series, um, episode 18, The Last Flight. I'm here once again with my good friend, ADZ. Hello everyone, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and who are you? You didn't, who am I? You didn't give your name. I'm, I'm just a... I'm just a nobody. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just a nobody just doing this little podcast. I'm Jimbo, as usual, so um, thanks for listening. Eric, let's go ahead and take this one right away. All right, here we go. Um, episode number 18 of season one, entitled The Last Flight. It was directed by William F. Claxton, and it was written by Richard Matheson. Uh, don't see any writing credits here for Rod Serling. Um, that's odd. And it's based on, it doesn't say if this is, uh, I'm assuming this is a book called Flight by Richard Matheson. And again, we have some featured music, which is stock from Where Is Everybody by Bernard Herrmann. Uh, the original air date. Yeah, that was the first episode of The Twilight Zone. They reused some of the music from the first episode, Where Is Everybody. I thought that was really cool. Oh, okay. Um, the original air date was... February 5th, 1960, and dates are going to be kind of important uh, keys to this episode. So go ahead, Jimbo. Right. I think it would have been really, I think it would have been really cool if they could have released this episode on March 5th. That would <laughs> I think be that cool. Would have been really cool. Um, go ahead, Jimbo, with the cast. Oh, you're ready for the cast? Yes, sir. My bad. Uh, so we have Kenneth High as Flight Lieutenant Decker, who's the main uh, World War One pilot in this episode. Um, he's probably most famous for, for playing Brutus and Cleopatra. Uh, Simon Scott uh, played Major Wilson. Alexander Scurby as General Harper. This guy has been in a lot of stuff, 
But uh, one of the things I found that I watched when I was a kid was The Shaggy Dog, where he played Dr. Mikkel and Jassy. Uh, Robert Warwick as Air Vice Marshal Alexander McKay. Harry Raybould as the Corporal. Jerry Catron as the Guard. Jack Perkins as the Mechanic. And Paul Baxley as the Jeep Driver. The synopsis for this episode is a World War I fighter pilot who gets lost while flying lands at an airbase in France 42 years in the future, controlled by the U.S. All right. Eric, you ready? Uh, sure. So we drop in uh, to this episode. Actually, we don't drop in. We're deep in a thick cloud. <laughs> uh, we, we encounter uh, Terrence Decker, or Lieutenant William Decker, if uh, you want to give us a uh, title. And he is flying through a thick cloud, and this is just some pretty cool footage. And he is flying in obviously a very old antique style World War One plane. It reminds me of uh, uh, of the episode of uh, Charlie Brown when Snoopy's the red uh, the the barn the red Baron. yeah the red Baron the barnstorming red Baron. Uh, that's the that's type exactly of exactly what I was going to say. <laughs> that's the type of airplane that he's flying. And there's a little bit of a clearing. He comes down and he lands um, at an air base. And actually, the the slide over in the uh, video says, Welcome to Lafayette Air Base in Reims. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Reims, France. And so we come to find out this is, this is a U.S. installation in France, uh, a military air base. And he's looking around. But it's important to note his surroundings there are all these modern-day Air Force jet fighter pl- planes that are on the, uh, uh, I guess you would call it the tarmac or the runway or whatever. Um, so his plane really sticks out quite a bit. And he's kind of confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. Uh, I mean, he's got the full garb on, the, the leather helmet, the goggles, and he, you know, he's taking them off, and he climbs out of the, the airplane. He's meted by two... Uh, airmen and they're you know asking him questions like what do you think you're doing you know basically he was flying in front of a another airplane uh, i guess as it was trying to take off or land or whatever one of the planes on the air base and they ask him a couple of questions like are you french and uh, we come to find out that uh terrence lieutenant terrence decker is british and he uh, we come to find out a little bit more about him, that he is flying for the Royal Navy Corps. So I did a little bit of research about the Royal uh, Flying Corps, not the Royal Navy Corps, if I mispronounce that. The Royal Flying Corps, or RFC, was the air arm of the British Army before and during the First World War until it merged with the Royal Navy Air Service on April 1st of 1918. Uh, to form the Royal Air Force. During the early part of the war, the RFC supported the British Army by artillery and cooperations of photographic rec- reconnaissance. So I guess they were originally... Remember, airplanes hadn't been around. I mean, they'd just been invented by the Wright brothers maybe like six or five years earlier or something like that, 1911, or maybe it was earlier than that. I can't remember. But So they were actually an arm of the, the British Army, before they became their own entity, I thought that was interesting, and they were called the Royal Flying uh, Corps. And even in the episode, they, they questioned, no, aren't you in the Royal uh, Navy or something like that? And he's like, no, the Royal Flying Corps. And he's really adamant, and there's a patch, actually, if you notice, on his arm 
that says the Royal Flying Corps. I thought that was pretty interesting uh, for continuity. So, mm-hmm. Jimbo, did you have the, some remarks? Well, no, I, I, we're coming up to one of the scenes that I, I find pretty interesting of this is when um, they grab him by the arm and, they, you know, they're leading him. They put him in the Jeep and the Jeep drives to, like, basically, I guess, headquarters, if you will. And, you know, he's looking around like he starts to wander off and they grab him by the arm again, you know, and start escorting him around. And, and this is probably my favorite part of the episode is he's walking and then this lady in, in her uniform is walking by and, you know, gets a, he's like, he looks at her, you know, like, whoa, whoa, you know, and, <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't. I didn't have time to look at this, but um, here's here. I was going to ask you this question. I don't know if you'll know this. In World War One, when uh, Decker is from, uh, were women allowed to be in the uh, the service? Um, not during World War One, I, I don't think. But we're in 1959, so in this. That's what I'm saying. So when he turns around and looks, because she gave him the salute, I'm wanting to know if I was wondering if. Maybe he's like, why is a woman in uniform saluting? Because oh. they're not in the the service, oh. at, at least in that um, in that capacity, if you will. Yeah. Well, that- so I didn't know if you, I didn't know the exact time frame of when they were, when they weren't. You know what I mean? So I didn't know if you had anything about that. Ah. So that's just something I wanted to point out yeah. as they're going into the head. That's an interesting. So, uh, that's an interesting pickup. I didn't notice that, but yeah, that would be a good explanation. I did notice the weird look, but I didn't put the two and two together. So yeah, that's a good explanation of why he might have given her uh, kind of an off-putting look there. So he moves from the Jeep. They escort... Uh, let's let's get our characters together. This is um, the Major uh, Major Wilson, played by Simon Scott, escorts him into uh, George Harper, the Major General's office, and um, he comes into the, the office and... Uh, Lieutenant Decker is very formal. He stands up straight, and you know he he enters the office, and um, the the general Major General Harper is kind of like, is this some kind of joke or something? Why is this guy dressed up in this costume? And he even asks him, why are you in this costume? Are you in some kind of air show? I think that's uh, part of the line. He's and. you know, Decker doesn't have any idea what an air show is. You know, he's like, air show, sir? Um, so he's a little bit, everyone's a little bit confused. And then we, uh, you know, through a series of questions, and really they're kind of grilling him, and they're kind of the Grand Inquisition there. They're trying to find out who this guy is, why he's on their airbase, how he got here, you know, all the, you know, the normal questions that someone would ask. And they think it's all a big, like, hoax or a big goof or something, you know, that this guy, he, he's really playing the part, and he's not cracking at all. Uh, and so this goes on for a while, uh, and we come to find out, um, again, who he's flying for. But the most important thing that we find out in this particular scene is the dates. Um, he... Lieutenant Decker is asked what's today's date, and he says March 5th, but he thinks he's in 1917, and Major Wilson says, no, it's March 5th, you got that part right, but it's 1959, and you see Decker mouth the words 1959, and you kind of get clues that are there's some time travel involved, because, you know, earlier in the uh, episode, Decker says, wow, I didn't realize, one of the quotes was, I didn't realize you guys were so advanced here 
uh, in on this American base. And uh, so there, you know, there are clues that lead to this point. And he's having trouble, speaking of Decker, he's having trouble coming to grips with the fact that, you know, what has happened, that somehow he has gone through a thick cloud. He goes on to describe the cloud as being like a thick vacuum-like cloud. And it has spit him out on the other side of 1917, basically, to 1959. So, Jimbo, did you have anything that you wanted to add? Um. It's just very interesting, you know, like, um, he's like very adamant. He's like, look, he's like, I'm telling you, when I took off this morning, he said it was 1917, and now you're telling me that's 42 years in the future, basically. So, um, it's, I mean, I can't blame the, 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 the uh, officers here. Um, if somebody came dressed, you know, in this costume and for 42 years ago today to my house or to my place of employment and said, hey, you know, and I'm here in especially somebody that's flying an aircraft, especially after we have just went through the, the world wars, um, the, they got to be on high alert because we just went through all this stuff. Uh, they're in France. Um, you know, is there, you know, still some animosity still left over, maybe some uh, renegades, if you will, that can possibly cause damage to the base to sabotage, um, you know, Pearl, another Pearl Harbor, if you will. Um, so I don't blame them for being on edge um, like they are. Yeah. Um, but it's just all very weird, and 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 you kind of feel sorry for uh, Decker too because you know he just he's like I just I don't understand what happened, and I think it's really really uh, pretty good. Uh, so go ahead, Eric. So again, like we said, this this scene takes uh, a while, and um, we learn about this. Um, particular man, uh, Mackay, and that comes, this particular gentleman was the man that, uh, that Decker was flying with, and um, Alexander, uh, his name is, a official name is ABM Alexander Leadbottom Mackay, and that's our secret word, is Leadbottom for this episode, I'll go ahead and inter- interject uh, that here, and if you watch the episode, you'll get the reference. Um, so Decker is describing flying with this man and he, he tells the story that, um, they got separated. Normally they flow, they flew in pairs and they got, had gotten separated in the air and that there were like seven German planes that were surrounding Mackay the last time that Decker saw him and that he was most likely dead. There's no way that he could have made it out alive because, Decker says he was fighting three German planes of his own and, you know, there was no way that he could have helped his comrade out and that, you know, he got left for dead, basically. But then, after the... um, After Decker leaves the office, uh, Major Wilson and uh, Major General Harper, um, they're having a private conversation and they collect like all of his things, like his wallet and his uh, dog tags, and he has some of his um, personal items, and they put them in like an envelope. Uh, his ID badge. Speaking of Decker, his Decker's ID and all that stuff. And they're having a discussion, and you know, Major General Harper, he he sort of tends to believe Decker's story, whereas um, 
the Major General Harper, he he's not buying any of his story. He thinks that this is a complete hoax and that this guy is just putting on and, you know, there's no, he obviously doesn't think that time travel is possible. And, you know, they have a conversation back and forth and then they end up finding in all of his effects, they find a gun that was still in uh, the airplane. And, um, right. And uh, so Harper's Harper's thinking, Hey, you know, um, I think he's here to kill McKay. Basically, he's like somehow he's figured out that McKay's coming to visit this base today, and he's going to kill him. And this is where I think Major Wilson makes a strong point. He's like, sir, he's like, if he was going to try to kill McKay, he said he would have that on him. He's like, it was left on the plane. He's like, so I don't think he he intended it. So you kind of see that Major Wilson, hey, he's starting to believe this guy. Where Harper's just like, hey, this is just a big elaborate hoax, or he had something more treacherous that he was going to do. Right. Um, just not giving us all the facts of what he was going to do. So I think it's really interesting that the next scene, you know, you got you got Decker, and he's basically a prisoner, if you will. He's you know he's looking out the window. He's like, why am I stuck in here? And Harper, um, General Harper, comes in and starts talking to him. You know what I mean? So or not Harper. This is a uh, this is Wilson, isn't it? Yep, Wilson. And uh, yeah, and so they start. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it was just an interesting line um, that Wilson tells. Um, Decker, he says, look, you have to realize that you're asking us to believe something rather incredible, you know. He's like, don't blame us because we're taking the proper precautions because, you know, Decker is upset because he's in, I don't, he's not like in a jail cell, but he's kind of in a holding area and he's got a guard out front watching him or whatever. And, you know, he's trying to, trying to tell Decker, look, this is, we're just trying to do our job. You, you expect us to believe that, you know, you, went into this white cloud and then all this, and it was 1917 and then you come out and, um, you know, it's 1959. This has never happened before. And then Decker says, well, it's happened today. It's happened now. And they go on, you know, and they have a pretty heated discussion. And this is probably the, probably the key scene or key point in the whole uh, episode. He's, um, Decker starts to explain, he changes the story basically. And he talks about how he was afraid and really, he just kind of left Mackay, he left him high and dry, so to speak. That, you know, he flew up really high in the clouds because he was afraid. And that he's always been afraid. He, he talks about how he kind of puts on a face. You know, you got all these macho... By the way, let me just insert here. They're basically, at this point in time... They're flying in a tin can with wings. The bravery it took to get into right. one of these machines and to fly and do what they did and to fight battles and, you know, dogfights in, in the air. What do you call those? World War One aces, I think is what they were called back then. Uh, these guys had to show an extreme amount of bravery. And Decker is kind of talking, you know, he explains like, yeah, when we're down on the ground and we're going out and we're... Uh, doing different things or we're having a beer or we're carousing around i can put on the mask but really when we get into the air all i want to do is run away the last thing i want to do is engage into any kind of combat and it was like he said like makai it seems like he went looking for a fight and i just don't have that in me i went even as far as to put fake bullet holes into my plane to sort of prove that i was a brave and i'm not on that level Right, and you kind of wonder how many of his colleagues has he seen get shot down, um, because it's obviously put a fear into him that he's scared 
uh, just to even come in contact with him. And, and I kind of wonder, you know, how many of his friends or maybe people in his own, you know, air air group, whatever you want to call them, um, how many of his friends have died, you know, being shot down in World War One? I. I, I thought that was very uh, telling of him. Yeah, and then we come to the key part um, kind of in this scene as Decker is revealing to the, the Major Wilson that he is afraid and that he changed his story and he sort of comes clean. Major Wilson says, you know, it's not a crime to be afraid. You know, he kind of consoles him a little bit and says, look, everybody gets afraid. And and then we stumble onto the idea. I can't remember the exact exchange of words, but they, they stumble on to the idea of Decker says, look, there's a way if you let me go, maybe there's a way that I can go back and right my wrongs or, you know, get redemption. And that's kind of the one of the main things that I liked about the episode was everybody would I would assume I would think anybody and everybody would want to go back to particular point in time in their life when they would want to right a wrong and so Decker has this opportunity and um, and through the course of their conversation you know of course uh, Major Wilson says no there's no way we can let you go and so the the idea sort of is hatched and he says you know uh, Decker says there's no way that Mackay is even going to have a chance if I don't go back and try um, to find him right but 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 more than that i think um there's no he's they know he knows mckay is coming and he's like but how do you know he's coming he's like maybe when i came here that mckay's not coming um you know what i mean so it's the whole time travel thing um the things that he did in the past is a effect since he came to the future or whatever is it going to mess up the, the the timeline continuity He's like, so how do you actually know that he's going to be coming if you don't let me get out of here and get back in the air and get out of here and not see him? So a uh, very interesting point right here. So it's that whole uh, Back to the Future uh, time continuum, don't, time and space continuum. Don't get us started. This was the original time, <laughs> right, Marty. The, the time space <laughs> continuum, right? This is the original one and from 1960. Right. So, yeah, that was very well stated. That was That was kind of the turning point. That's how the idea is hatched. And so eventually, of course, Wilson's not going to let him go. And then Decker decks Wilson and he <laughs> decks the guard, which I thought, I thought that was hilarious. When he punches the second guard in the stomach, I mean, he goes down like he's dead. And like all he does is get and punched. he stays in, there yeah, for a long time. No, it's like, man, well, that's some kind of punch to knock somebody out by hitting them in the stomach. But well, well, on the other hand, when he hits Wilson, though, he lays there, he like knocks him out for a few minutes or whatever. You know what I mean? Right. So it's, it's he, he, maybe they maybe they just trained harder in uh, the France. You know what I mean? Right. So you know, Decker runs out the room, you know, the holding area, and he passes another female airman who <laughs> looks at him rather strangely. <laughs> And really long stare as he's running out onto the airfield. And then, of course, he starts running uh, to find his airplane, uh, to find his bomber. And he, you know, he gets in and uh, checks the instrument panel, I think, and then runs out. It's awesome because this is the old style where he has to crank the propeller. And his whole... His whole motion of cranking the propeller is really cool. And so then like a mechanic runs over and he's like, hey, hey, what are you doing? And he punches the mechanic right in the face. 
And so the, me- uh, the mechanic is laid out, and then eventually Major Wilson catches up with him, and he's got him at gunpoint, and he, he tells him to turn off your, your airplane or I'll fire. And this is really, really a, a, the, the turning point. You can see the change in Decker's character because he is brave in this moment because he tells uh, Major Wilson, he's like, look, you're going to have to kill me. I'm going back. If you're going to fire that gun, you might as well fire it now and kill me now because there's no way that I'm, I'm going to stop what I'm doing. And so I thought that was a pretty cool part. And so eventually Decker, well, Harper, uh, or excuse me, got a lot of uh, characters here. Major Wilson lets him go and Decker's on the runway and he, you know, there's some stock footage of one of these old airplanes uh, taking off and he's in the air again and he flies up into the cloud and we leave Major Wilson standing on the runway and then the next scene we find uh, we are back in Major General Harper's office again and he tells Wilson, Major Wilson, he's like, you're in big trouble. You know that, right? And he's like, yeah, I know I'm in big trouble. And uh, another man enters the room and he announces the arrival of uh, Mackay, Alexander Mackay. And he's an, an older man, obviously, and he enters the room and the introductions are made and then one of the first questions that is asked of Mackay is do you know Lieutenant William Terrence Decker and and um, and I think uh, Mackay says something like well I should know him he saved my life so we're getting a little insight into the fact that the plan must have worked Decker's plan to go back in time and to save uh, Makai from that terrible dogfight must have worked because um, we learned later in the scene. Jimbo, did you have something to interject? Right. Well, well, and then you still have General Harper, you know, still not wanting to believe. He's like, hey, didn't the Germans, once they uh, shot somebody down or whatever, didn't they used to take all their belongings? And Makai's like, well, you know, normally he's like, well, did they do that with um, Decker? And he's like, no. He's like, not that I know of. And this is when he pulls out the envelope and he dumps all the belongings out there um, on the on the uh, ground. And it's got, you know, the Royal Squadron uh, flying corpse, his identification and uh, all this other stuff. You know what I mean? And he's like, we're basically he's, he can't believe where did you get this? Um, and uh, he's like, I haven't seen these in what so long. And they're like, they're his. And he's like, yeah, they're they're his. They're this actually thing. This is him. Uh, so now you have confirmation that that was actually him there. Um, so McKay's like, how'd you get this? He's this is the greatest scene of this episode. He's like, maybe you better sit down, old lead bottom. So he's like, what'd you call me? He's like, you know, and, and now, now I think major Harper is starting to realize like, Hey, what just happened? Um, so, uh, he looks out the window and he goes back up to the white cloud. Um, uh, so, and that's the end of the, the episode basically. So let me go ahead and, throw some stuff out here that I found. Uh, writer Richard Matheson explained that the title of this episode and his short story referred to both the protagonist's physical journey as well as his departure from cowardice. Um, this was filmed at Norton Air Force Base in San Bernardino, California. 
there are several military aircraft in this episode, and I'm just going to name a few uh, that we see. Um, the first aircraft Decker taxis by in his aircraft after he lands is a C-124 Globemaster. Uh, when Decker first exited his aircraft, there's a Jeep immediately behind it, a service truck behind the Jeep, and a USAF F-100 Super Sabre Jet in the background. Uh, when Decker and Wilson get out of the Jeep, there is a C-47 Skytrain, which is the equivalent to a DC-3, uh, parked in the hangar behind them. Major General Harper has an F-104 Starfighter model on his desk. Um, then there are three pictures of jets hanging in Major General Harper's office. The first two are on the right side of the room and can be seen briefly as Harper passes by them. Uh, the first is a U.S. Navy F-9F Cougar. Uh, the second one is an A-4 Skyhawk. And then the third is in the back of the room uh, to the right of the door. It appears to be a C-124 Globemaster. Uh, but the, no one can tell if it's the uh, engines are jets or pro propellers. Uh, another one is the uh, when Decker goes to the window in the Harper's office, he sees a USAF F-100 Super Sabre taxiing on the uh, tarmac. Uh, the four-plane uh, flyby is done by F-100 Super Sabres. The C-124 Globemasters are seen parked in the line after the flyby. And when Decker runs back to his plane, there are three F-102 Delta Daggers jets in the background. So for those of you that are interested in airplanes uh, and the different models and makes, these are what we're in this episode. Uh, the rank of uh, Air Vice Marshal AVM in the RAF is equivalent to the rank of Major General in the USAF. Therefore, Officers Harper and McKay are of equal rank. Um, when Decker arrives in the Lafayette Air Base, uh, he is told that he is an American base. When he sees the 1959 aircraft for the first time, he says, We had no idea that you guys were so advanced. However, he shouldn't be surprised that there is an American air base in France at all, as the United States did not declare war on Germany until April 6, 1970, one month after Decker had left. Huh. Eric, you got something to add right there. No, just the, the dates I thought that were interesting that um, this particular episode was released uh, February 5th, 1960, and in the actual episode, uh, the, the current date was March the 5th, 1959, so it was like 11 months before the episode even aired. Right. So I don't know maybe if they were... Filming the episode, like maybe that was the actual date when they were filming. Uh, it was um, around March of 1959, and then it didn't air until like 11 months later. I thought that was interesting. And then the whole 1917 right. wrinkle, you can add that on. That, that was kind of interesting. Right. Decker is flying a, a Newport 28, which entered service in early 1918. However, the date is supposed to be March 5th, 1917. Furthermore, the Newport was a French-built aircraft that was flown by the French and Americans, but not the Royal Flying Corps. So the airplane he was flying wasn't even supposed to be one that they flew. Okay. Uh, Decker looks out the window of the general's office to see a 1959 jet aircraft pass on the airfield. However, other shots in the same office show the window overlooks a parking lot with palm trees and cars. Um, and there's something about the procedures of the military personnel. Military officers do not render a hand salute when they are uncovered uh, without a hat. In this production, not only does an officer without a hat salute a superior, but the other officers are wearing hats indoors, something that's not supposed to be done. Hmm. And lastly, when the air vice marshal enters the room, they render a hand salute. The correct action is when a superior officer enters the room, you come to attention. So, Eric, 
go ahead and give me your thoughts on this episode before I give you mine. <laughs> I know you weren't a fan of this one. Um, anything having to do with time travel, I'm sorry, I'm gonna love it. Uh, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great story. Uh, I, you know, the fact not, more than the time travel element, which is always a good element, you could throw that into anything, and it's pretty awesome because everyone wants to be able to time travel, but. The idea of redemption and what you mentioned earlier, the, the turning from cowardice. This, this uh, Terrence Decker, he, he finds an inner strength. Um, he, his character evolves from being sort of cowardly, cowardly to courage. And this is really what bravery looks like. And, you know, I mentioned it a little bit earlier in the episode, but the fact that there were men who were willing to go and I mean, do these types of things, the bravery that they displayed just to even get up in one of those tin cans and to be able to fly around and regardless of the fact you have someone else shooting at you and there was no, you know, modern day ejection seat with parachutes and all of the modern day technologies that, you know, I'm sure that the Air Force has today. Uh, if you got hit, you, you were done for. And I don't know. I just uh, I really liked it. I liked the the story. I liked the uh, the character development. I liked the time travel element. And I liked the fact that the Decker was willing to admit to himself and to someone else that you know he was afraid. That you know that's a scary job, and that he didn't have to put on a mask and anymore, and that he could go and right a wrong. He could go back and fix something where he messed up, where something that he could change in his life. And again, I just thought that was the, the great part of the episode. And I, you know, every one of us, uh, no doubt would want to go back and change something or right a wrong that they have done in the past. And I just thought that was one of the, the good uh, speaking points. Right. I see what you're saying. Okay. But let me let me pose something else. The whole story episode revolves around this cloud, right? Okay. That's how he got here. Uh, he said he shot up through this cloud, right? So I'm supposed to believe that hey, this guy has been he landed on our airfield. He's been taken to uh, interrogation for who knows how long. He's uh, escaped. And he gets back on his plane, and he flies through the same cloud. You want me to believe this. With the earth rotating, clouds moving across the sky, you want me to believe... I mean, this is the Twilight Zone, don't get me wrong. <laughs> but if it is the Twilight right. Zone, let me ask you this. If that's the case, then how come somebody didn't get in an airplane and fly off, and if they went through this cloud, would they be transported back to 1917 with him? Another point. If he was really seriously being chased, as we come to find out, with Colonel uh, or uh, Alexander McKay... Said so he, you know, he, there's, he saved my life. There was three, three, uh, what was it, Germans chasing him. Where are the Germans? The Germans would have came through the same cloud and would have ended up in the same thing unless they got disoriented and crashed. Uh, but I'm sure to be an air pilot like that, an Air Force pilot, and even in the German Army, that you're going to be expert enough not to, cr not to crash land just going into a cloud. So that was a big sticking point for me. I understand the whole, they wanted to make it Hollywood. They wanted to make it a story. And I and, and the story was okay. Uh, another thing is, did, with uh, Decker going back into time, did he actually change the story? 
you never know. Um, because you look, you see that he said that um, Decker says, you know, I need to go back. I, I, I need because he, he even said, you know, we used to split up. I would make it a point to split up and, and fight, you know, or do our rounds, whatever. And then when McKay comes in, he actually says, hey, you know, we used to split up. He's like, but for this day, we were actually together doing this mission. And that's when the, the Germans surrounded him. And that's where he said he saved his life. So my question to you is, does McKay know the truth? Because he says that Decker saved his life that day. My next question is, by him saying that, did Decker die that day? Did he die when, when McKay says that he saved his life? Is it assumed that Decker went back and when he did that the Germans shot him down and killed him for his redemption story? I think that it's implied, yeah, that Decker essentially died and he sacrificed himself so that Mackay could, you know, go stay alive and go down through time and, and end up in that meeting uh, with the, uh, the officers of the American Air Force Base. So my next question to you is, if they would have kept Decker detained and McKay would have seen Decker, what would have been the outcome? Uh, a, a nuclear explosion or uh, the space-time continuum would implode on itself and it would be a black hole, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just, that's just something I always wanted to, uh, wondered about this episode because they weren't going to let him go. And they said, well, when McKay gets here, we will find out exactly who you are and if he knows you and all that. And I always wanted to know if they would have met face-to-face, would it have messed up something in their whole time continuum thing? Because if Decker, it doesn't really make sense because if Decker's in the present, then that means that McKay should have already been dead. True. So how how can McKay in the present be coming to the base if Decker's there, then he shouldn't technically exist right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, they're all good questions. Uh, maybe you, right. maybe you should so, start a, the Twilight Zone blog for this episode and get some input <laughs> on some scenarios and ideas. I'm just, I'm just saying it's very, it's very confusing, uh, very confusing because you can't have one and the other without. <laughs> You can't have one being here and one not being here without a sacrifice of one or the other. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, but this you got to remember this is the infancy of the the writing about time travel. I mean, we're, we're still new. They're still <laughs> oh, learning. So now you want to make excuses? Well, no, they're still learning. I mean, all of those things were probably not reasoned out. I mean, they were pumping out episodes every week. You think Rod Serling had time to sit down and think about every possible scenario of his story. Actually, it wasn't written by Rod Serling, was okay. it? It was... Uh, okay, but you go back, but you go back, you go back and you look at his space episodes about exploring space and, and landing on asteroids and all that. That stuff doesn't happen either, you know what I mean? But it's fantastic. Even though he may have the time wrong where it's 11,000 miles to this planet or a million miles to this planet, it still made sense. Well, actually, we wouldn't have to ask Rod Serling. We would have to ask Richard Matheson because he's the one that wrote the story. So, you know, the, the holes in his story would need to be taken up with him. So there you go. All good questions. Well, then, I know you like this episode, but for me, it falls in the bottom, bottom, probably bottom two episodes of the season so far that we have watched. Um, it's just very confusing. It, uh, it was jumping all over the place and it didn't have that. That one moment that's like, aha, you know what I mean? Like the, the actual Twilight Zone moment, the boom, here it is, here's the here's the final cut. I think this one was left more open-ended for discussion like we're having today. Okay. So, 
there you have it. That is episode number, what was that, 18? Number 18. Um, the Last Flight. Don't forget the uh, Twilight Zone contest going on all the way up till October 31st. Um, be sure to uh, send an email to thetragedyofcinema at gmail.com with the secret word for each episode to get more entries to win the Tragedy of Cinema coffee mug that did arrive at my house. So I have it in possession. Awesome. And as soon as October 31st, about 8 o'clock, I will be mailing it out, contacting We'll do a random number generator, and I will make that announcement and be shipping that out. Any final thoughts, Eric? Uh, no, I think you covered everything. All right. Well, with that being said, this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And cut. Eric.